May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may have noticed that one of the things the Bible talks about and some of the language it uses quite often, we heard it in our introit and we heard it in the gradual, is language of the heart. And the heart, of course, is symbolic here of the whole of what it means to be a person with a soul and a body. The heart kind of represents the unity of our physical and our spiritual elements of what makes us human. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your spirit, your body, your mind, your strength, all of it. And I was thinking about the heart, partly because, as some of you may know, I have a problem with my heart. I have a hole in it. That hole has been amended by a device that closes the heart. But the language of heart language always makes me think of myself and my own problems with my heart. I have to go regularly to have an EKG. And you all familiar with an EKG, right? It gives you a reading of your heart. It allows the physicians, the cardiologists to know the strength of the heart, the beating of your heart, it gives them a read of what's going on. And so may you, you may know, or maybe you don't know, and this is news to you, Parish Council has invited our diocesan bishop, Bishop Todd, to come to speak to our parish council. He's coming next week. To speak to him about the condition of our heart, the heart of our diocese, the heart of our parish. To talk about where are we now? as a diocese, as a parish. What comes next? These are the questions that we have coming out of a long time, a two and a half years of not being able to do what we normally do as a parish, not being able to worship together, not being able to eat together, not being able in some cases for the priest to even visit people. It's prohibited from doing that. And so, like an EKG gives us a sense of our physical heart, I offered to parish council at our last meeting, as we're preparing for this meeting with the bishop, a kind of a spiritual EKG of the life of St. James Paris over the last four decades. Of course, we're a parish whose history extends beyond that. I think we're in our 185th year at this point. But how many of us have that kind of living memory? Even... Like that doesn't, none of us here goes all the way back to the beginning. And so I thought, well, I'll offer a reflection on our parish over the last, as I said, four decades. And so parish council, we talked about this and the assessment was widely agreed to be more or less accurate. And I'll explain why I'm doing this with you here this morning. But before we do that, permit me to do a bit of a spiritual EKG for St. James Paris. For the purposes of this EKG, this is kind of the, the high point, right? The high point, so things are good. Things are well. The median point is kind of things are good. That's like the status quo, that's, that's even keel. And then on the bottom you can imagine that's where things are maybe not so great, where we don't want them to be, but sometimes it happens, that's where we are. And I've broken this down in kind of epochs or eras under the leadership of different rectors. So the EKG is not reflective of the rector per se, 
but of the life of the parish as a whole during that time. I'm going to start with the time of George Ferris. If you've been here for a while, you know, okay, during George's time, things were actually quite well in the parish. Lots was going on. Donkeys were coming and pooping on the carpet. <laughs> if you don't get that reference, ask someone who's been here for a while. I've only been here five years, and I know all about the donkey on Palm Sunday. But things were good. The parish was feeling vibrant and alive. It was coming to the high point in the, li in the living memory of the parish. And Father George moved on after a long tenure here. And after any period of an interim period, without a priest, there's always a bit of instability in any parish. It's not to say there aren't good lay people holding down the fort, making sure things are going, but there's always a bit of uncertainty. How long before a new priest comes along? What will that priest be like? And under the time of uh, Jeff Copeland who came in, it was a hard time in the life of the parish. Now, I can't spell out all the details. Some of you know the details because you've been here long enough. Some of it you may not know, and the point is I can't share some of the information because it's private, but it was not a good time in the life of the parish. Father Copeland's time was relatively short here, and again, after he left, a period of uncertainty. Especially now when you're down here. Oh boy, the uncertainty becomes a little bit more pronounced. A little bit more anxiety sets in. Well, what now? We were really high five, six, seven years ago. Now, not so much. Now we're feeling a little bit more vulnerable. Father Bob Schroeder comes along. Coming out of the valley. Things are stable. Things are secure. Good. Okay, we've got our footing back. Things are looking good. Right? Oh, good. The golden days might just be here again. All right. It's not to say everything's perfect. It's just to say the general trend was trending in a good direction. Then, again, a period of uncertainty. New rector, what's he going to be like? Father Stephen Hendry comes along. It's a little bit of turbulence and things like that. At this point, though, in the life of the parish, the news broke about what happened during George Ferris's time here. And again, if you don't know, I'll be happy to tell you, but it's not, this is not the time or the place to reveal what happened. Not a good time. Not a good time. Even though things were going really, really well, that was devastating news in the life of the parish. And again, it's like, oh, here we are again. How did this happen? When things were looking so good and so stable, here we are again. Father Victor comes along. Again, challenges, not perfect. Starts to pick up again. There were challenges and things were not good. But then they leveled off and things were starting to be okay again. It's okay again. Then Father Victor requested to be moved to parishes and then again a period of uncertainty. Well, what now? He wasn't even here that long and already moving on. And now what? We were kind of liking him. We were kind of getting used to him. And now this. So a period of uncertainty as you search for a new rector. Then I come along. Who's this guy? Okay, every priest has a honeymoon period of about a year or so. 
kind of figuring out the parish. Parish is figuring out the new priest. There's a bit of a, it's a bit of like a, a, almost like a junior high school dance, right? You know, the awkward dance, just close, but not too close. Got to leave room for the Holy Spirit, figure out what's going on. I'm figuring out you, you are figuring out me. But that process gets interrupted. I decide to have a stroke. (laughs) Little bit of unstability there at that point in the life of the parish because it's like, oh shoot, great, we got a new priest and this one's a dud. (laughs) He's He's got a defect and he's past warranty, let me tell you. Thankfully for Reverend, that Reverend Sarah and Reverend Jonathan were here and they were able to hold down and offer some stability with a bit of support from Father Bob. But then, just in time for me to get back, COVID happens. And the bottom falls out. I'm not saying this to be negative. I'm not saying this to, be, to sound despondent. I'm just trying to offer us an accurate reflection of our spiritual EKG as a parish. It's no one's fault. It's just the reality. No one likes to be down here. No one likes to be a priest of a parish who's down there. Because it hurts. It hurts all of us. It's uncomfortable. It's not where we want to be. It's not where we envision ourselves. Especially when we look back and we say, what happened to those days? To the mountaintops. Why are we here? How did it get like this? And this is where this fits with our reading for today. I'm going to reread verse 5 of 1 Peter that Brian read for us. Or sorry, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You've all seen National Geographic or those sorts of nature videos. Who do the lions prey upon? Who do the lions prey upon? The weak, the vulnerable, the injured. That's where we are. We're weak. We're vulnerable. We're injured. We are limping through this. We're not unique in this. St. James Paris is not the only church that's going through this. If we were to map this EKG through our 185-year history, There would be valleys and mountains the same way there is in everything. We're not unique in that regard, and we are not the only Anglican parish that finds ourselves in a bit of a valley. We are not the only church in our diocese. We're not the only church in all of Christendom that finds itself in a difficult time wondering. But our battle, as St. Peter makes clear here and as St. Paul makes clear elsewhere, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. That's our first instinct, isn't it? To point fingers. How did it get this bad? Well, let's start making a list of whose fault it is. That's the wrong attitude. Because that actually enables the lion, who is the devil, who is roaring and prowling and just circling around, waiting to hunt down the weak members. Of course that's what he wants. So the point of this exercise, again, is not to point fingers, is not to blame, it's to have a realistic assessment of where we are. But our battle is not against each other, it's not about pointing fingers, it is about the spiritual battle. What is God trying to teach us in the midst of this? St. Paul says, when I am weak, 
then I am strong. Why? Because Paul realizes it's not by his own strength, not by his own ingenuity, not by his own gumption that he is able to accomplish anything that is of worth any value. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he had to experience the utter depths of weakness and vulnerability before he could realize that my strength only comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit. If I think I can do this on my own, I am sadly mistaken. And that's the problem that a lot of churches find themselves in when they're in the valleys. If we can just tweak things to fit better, if we can just offer the right program, if we can get the right kind of priest or personnel, all of our problems will be fixed. But I think that's the wrong solution. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Bishop Terry Dance, uh, retired bishop of our diocese, was preaching at the confirmation service for Jeff and for Vera this past week. And if you've ever heard Bishop Terry preach, he has a very flamboyant way of preaching. He wears his cope and he's marching up and down the aisle and he looks like Superman with his cape fluttering behind him. I'm not as, uh, as dynamic as that, but there was a real substance to what Bishop Terry was saying. He's a showman for sure, yes, but there was real depth of what he was saying. And one of the things he was saying that really struck home with me was that the Aramaic word for fishing, right? Jesus tells his apostles, you are going to fish for people. The Aramaic word for fishing in that regards is not just to take a fish out of water. As Bishop Terry explained, it's actually, its meaning is to take something from the depths and bring it to the light. That's what fish do, right? They go down. It's dark in the water. It's cool. But to take it out and bring it into the light. And Jesus says, you are going to do the same thing with people. You are going to take them out of the darkness of the valleys, of the shadow of death. You're going to take them out of the darkness of despair, of suffering, of sorrow, of solitude, all those things that bring us down. And you are going to bring them into the light who is Christ. So maybe, maybe, Jesus is walking through us, through the valley of the shadow of darkness and despair and anxiety and fear. And maybe the whole exercise is for us is simply to remember that Christ goes with us, he goes before us, he goes behind us, he is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That even when we are in the darkest valley in the life of our parish, even when we're in the darkest valley in our own lives, wondering where is our help to come from, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the light that shines in the darkness. So maybe, as in all things, this is an exercise of a test of our faith. We know things are not the same. We know there are people that have left because of indifference. Sunday morning is a good tee-off time if you can get it. People that have moved on, I don't like it there, it's not my style, this kind of consumerist mentality that means I'll go find a better product somewhere else. People have gotten sick. People have died. And none of that sits well with us. Of course not. Why should it? But maybe the whole point is not to look back at the glory days and to say, why can't we go back to that? 
Maybe the point when we're in the valley is to say, God, teach us to have a deeper, more abiding faith with you. It's easy when we're on the high points to even forget God in our own lives, let alone the life of our parish. When things are good, it is easy to coast along, to pretend that everything is gravy, life is good. But when we hit the bottom, there are no atheists in foxholes. You've heard that saying before. And maybe that's the point. God opposes the proud, but he brings up the humble. Maybe we all have to have a little humility, myself included, in all of this. But the point is to open our eyes, to remove the darkness, to help us to see the light who is Christ. Because that same mission that Jesus gave to the apostles is the same mission he gives to us today. To bring people into the light. Now more than ever, that mission becomes a lot more urgent. When the church is full, there's no urgency, because things are good. But when we're in the valley, maybe that's the point. Jesus is trying to get our attention. Just as I have brought you from, from darkness and death into the light of my life, so too you are called to bring in the lost, the lonely, and the broken. They're not going to just show up. You've got to show them. You have to go out like that shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one. I mean, that's bad economics if you think about it. Cut your losses. No. That sheep is too valuable to be left behind. That silver coin. Oh, well, you know, I've got $9,000 in the bank. I guess, you know, $1,000. I can cut that as a loss. No, no. Too valuable to lose anyone. So let us take this time, this summer, it's kind of a bit of a Sabbath time, it's a bit of a downtime in the life of the parish, people are traveling and moving on, but let us do the work of the spiritual work of reflecting, not on the past, not getting dwelt on the present, but thinking about where is God calling us to next, because he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. So let us pray with new urgency that we would fix our eyes on him alone and that he would show us the way which is him. Thanks be to God.